Hello, everybody. How are we doing? It is Dave. What is it? It is Thursday. It's banjo time, Dave. That's what it's it is. banjo time. That's what it yes. is. That's where we're going today. I'm trying a different <laughs> intro. How you doing, <laughs> sir? <laughs> trying to coax you into something. I'm doing yeah. well. Trying to lure you in, trying to get you to take the bait on that one, but you did not fall for it. But that's okay. That's okay. You doing well? Yeah, doing well. Doing very well. Excellent. Ready for this awesome show? Yeah, that's be fun. I'm yeah, I think to it. it's gonna be fun too. I think it's gonna be fun too. So, hello to everyone who's joining us live, uh, and of course, anyone who is watching from home on repeat, which of course is immediately after the episode uh, finishes airing. It will be available on YouTube and on the Deering website such as the joy of modern technology. Um, and a quick reminder as well, uh, the audio versions of all of our Deering Live uh, episodes, if you're not able to tune in and watch uh, the whole thing, you can listen to them audibly, if you wish, on all your favorite podcasting networks, Spotify, Google, uh, I think Apple have something similar. I wouldn't know, but uh, that's a personal thing. <laughs> The small company. <laughs> the small company out there, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, do be sure to check them out. You can listen to them while you're driving uh, or while you're on the on the bike or in the gym or doing whatever you want to do, uh, including today's episode will be up there in just a couple of days. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up really quickly, we for, for all of you in the U.S., for all of you outside the U.S., I apologize, but in the U.S., uh, if you buy an Artisan Good Time Banjo in the month of November, you will be entitled to claim a free gig bag courtesy of Deering Banjo Company. So do check that out online at deeringbanjos.com slash free gig bag 2023. Uh, also been asked to mention that next week's guest is none other than Mr. Rex McGee, who some of you may know. That's going to be an exciting episode as well. Dave, you, you know Rex a little bit, right? Yeah, I met him at, uh, I've known his name for a long time, but I met him at uh, IBMA this past year. Yeah. And, uh, and um, yeah, he's a fantastic banjo player, and uh, and and teacher of of Mr. Ryan Kavanaugh as well. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Well, should we bring in our guest today? In just a second. Let's do it. All right. Well, our guest today is a prominent five-string banjo player hailing from the Boston area. Uh, beyond his remarkable banjo performances on the Boston scene, he's also renowned for his expertise in banjo setup and holds a profound knowledge of the instrument's history and intricacies. This promises to be a captivating conversation about all things banjo, so please bring him in, Mr. Gabe Hirschfeld. There he is, hey Gabe. Hello, hello. How are ya? Oh, I'm doing all right. I'm just uh, sitting here getting ready to talk about banjo, so uh, my favorite thing. So you, you definitely came to the right place. Whatever, so you, we... whatever you wanna know, I'll, I'll do my best. Well, we're looking forward to uh, to hearing everything, and I'm I'm sure we'll we'll invite everybody who's watching to uh, uh, drop some questions in the chat. If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, please go ahead um, as we go. Uh, but as is tradition, um, I think we'll invite you to play a little little something at the top. What do you think? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I've been I've been doing a lot of tune writing uh, recently. By recently, I mean over the past you know few years. So. Maybe that's Reason. not a reason, but you know, um, so here's one I wrote probably three or four or five years ago, uh, somewhat recently, but I, I really like other tunings and this double C tuning is, is quite nice. So, uh, this Very is cool. one I wrote in double C. It doesn't have a title yet. Um, maybe it will someday, but, uh, 
here it is. Really nice. So now I'll just get it out of this tuning because I shan't be using it again. So what tuning were you in? That was double C tuning. So uh, I was taking the fourth string and lowering it to C, and then also the second string and bringing it up to uh, C. So mm -hmm. now that I've already retuned, I'll go back to it. But one of the things I really like about this tuning is you get all these open to the loud tune, but you get all these open, really easy chords that you can just kind of move up and down the neck. And then so also like you get all these like really nice droney things too. you have all these open strings so right. with that tune you know one of the goals i had was kind of you know trying to figure out how to use this tuning in a way where like the melody is very much on the first string and there's some of it on the second string but then the rest of it everything else is kind of more like uh you know like droney stuff mm -hmm. um i really one of the things i really love about the banjo uh, and i think a lot of other People love this too, you know, and one of the things when I'm writing tunes, you know, it's a, a lot of what I'm trying to think about is kind of, you know, not necessarily like uh, a fiddle tune type melody when I'm writing a tune because, you know, fiddle tunes write fiddle tunes, you know, mm -hmm. I've written tunes like that, but 
the thing I find interesting is how to have a melody in the context of like roles um, and banjo language, um, <clears throat> because that's kind of that's kind of what attracted me to banjo in the first place was that kind of um, you know that uh, droning sound, not necessarily like you know melodies. It was that big, full sound that you know fills up a lot of space. You know, which that being said, uh, you know you when you're playing banjo with people, you got to remember it's pretty loud and it does fill up a lot of space. So, you know, you got to keep that in mind so that, uh, you know, the people you're playing with don't, uh, you know, glare at you a little too much, but, um, right. Yeah. And these sort of like drony tunes also, you feel they work, they work well when, when you're playing solo banjo as well, versus something that's more, uh, fiddle tune-esque or more straight Scruggs-esque sort of style? Yeah, well, well, at least for me it does. I think, mm -hmm. you know, you, you can... There, there are guys, you know, who can just play a fiddle tune solo and, you know, the arrangement that they come up with and the tone that they get is so full that, you know, it's something that to me it's like it, it's enough. Whereas mm -hmm. with me, it's like I've never felt like I can get that unless I'm adding, you know, the rolly notes. So like when I work up fiddle tunes or something, I'll try, you know, I try to get as much of the melody as I can. And, you know, it does, it's really helpful to learn in melodic style or single string style, the melody exactly as it is. Mm -hmm. um, but my goal when I'm coming up with an arrangement is usually, you know, of something like that uh, is usually, you know, taking that melody and then figuring out where, what melody notes are the important ones and which ones can I turn into like banjo stuff, mm -hmm. you know? Um, because to me, like, that's what I love about the banjo is it's, you know, it's that rolling thing. It's that, you know, that filling the space. And I also just, it, that's kind of something that's enjoyable to me is figuring out how to put a melody into those roles um, and so, like, to, to relate this to, like, other tunings, you know, like, with that double C tuning, it becomes really easy to do that, because you kind of can, you can kind of get the melody on one or two strings, and then everything else is this rich, full, right. uh, thing underneath, you know, yeah. like, I think of it, you know, it's like the bagpipes, you know, except not quite as loud. Right, right. Is it? It's like when you play in like if you play playing guitar and you do like a drop D tuning too, you get that sort of same sort of vibe going. Yeah, it just it kind of fills out the tone, you know. Like if you're playing in the key of D, you know, if you can drop that sixth string down to D, and then you just, you know, ram right. into a, a D chord, it's this big thing. Right. Yeah, you got this bass thing filling it out. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, with the banjo where we only have five strings, you know, and the range isn't necessarily that wide you know right. um you know putting it into different tunings where you know you have different notes like lower notes on the fourth string sometimes you'll tune the inside strings lower it you know i always think banjos sound better when they're tuned low because everything's kind of more yeah. resonant yeah so you, you get kinda, more sustain and everything yeah you kind of get more of that resonance um but i also you know it's like i also just got sick of like trying to write tunes in g because it, it in G tuning because it's like 
boy, is it hard to come up with something that no one's done before. Right, exactly. You know, um, but yeah, I, I, I think, you know, and I think another aspect of this is when I started to learn how to play, uh, I started with Clawhammer style. Okay. Originally. Uh, that wasn't what brought me to the banjo. Um, I just didn't know the difference. Um, and uh, nothing against Clawhammer. I love Clawhammer and I still love playing Clawhammer. Um, but I kind of just assumed like, well, maybe if I do this quick enough, it'll sound like Earl Scruggs. You know, who's you know, what I heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I very quickly realized mm, that's not how yeah, this works. Yeah. Um, you know, but that was, an, you know, I got introduced to other tunings really early on because, you know, if you're playing Clawhammer, you, you're using a ton of different tunings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've kind of forgotten a lot of them, but there are a few I still use and mostly double C, you know, you can also, you know, it's like, uh, there's one where it's like, uh, the bring this B string down to A, you know, or you can have like B string up to C, but keep everything. It's like a modal tuning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like F tuning. There's a B flat tuning. I've, I've been, uh, I was experimenting with, which, uh, I don't, I can't remember how to get the band banjo in that tuning right now. When you do the F tuning, are you doing that popular these days popular claw hammer tuning where it's like it's essentially G with the with the um it's, well no it's double C it's double C with the G string tuned down to F is that yeah what it is? yeah so it's it's yeah it's called last chance tuning yeah um, and the fifth string's tuned down as well and then sometimes I'll tune I'll tune the fourth string all the way down to B flat okay um just because you know it it's you know it sounds cool it's an interesting it doesn't get too floppy down there oh it gets floppy but uh, i don't mind i you know it's interesting you know whenever i play like an e-tuned banjo like if i tune my banjo Mm -hmm. low i usually just have the same strings on it and it, it has this like floppy thing to it um you know and depending on how the banjo is set up too like it can be a little too floppy Mm-hmm. But I, there's just something I really like about that because I can I don't have to hit very hard at all, mm-hmm. you know. Whereas and it has so much sustain, and sustain to me uh, is really really important uh, for me. Like I I wish I could love banjos with like really quick note decay, um, but I just feel so much comfortable when I have a banjo where like that note lasts. Mm-hmm for a while um and, you know part of it is the way i set it up you know part of it is also that just the instruments i ended up gravitating towards i'll do that um but when when i have it tuned low with those you know normal strings like you have to be careful to not hit it too hard because it can go out of tune but if you can hit it softly and with the right touch it's this huge sound that i really like um yeah. that being said you know i you know, I did string one of my banjos up with the Hartford uh, string set, and it actually works a lot, a lot better. Uh, it's a lot easier to stay in tune and stuff. So, you know, but uh, not that I'm tuning my banjo down that much these days. Well, let's back up a little bit. What's how did you get started? Did you you're in the Boston area now? Did are you from the Boston area originally? Yeah, yeah, I was born here. Um, 
I've never never moved anywhere else. Um, thought about moving to Nashville at one point, but then you see all these incredible banjo players out there, and it's just like I don't want to have to compete with those guys. Those guys are too good. <laughs> um, but uh, but you know, yeah, I I was born in Boston, um, and the way I got into it uh, was through NPR, uh, through Car Talk. Right. Um, so I I had started playing piano. I think I was five years old or something, six years old. And I played for several years and I really did not like it. Um, I just, it didn't make sense to me. Um, and I, I really, you know, for someone who plays banjo, I really have bad right hand, left hand coordination. Mm-hmm. So I, I couldn't like play the bass lines and the, right. you know, the melody lines at the same time. That being said, probably had I practiced more, um, <laughs> Had I not been like five years old, maybe I would have been a little better. Right. But, but you know, I'd, I'd just go for these piano lessons and just end up hanging out with the piano teacher's dogs for like a, an hour. <laughs> you know, she had these amazing dogs. Um, so when I decided I didn't like piano, um, you know, my dad did that thing of like, well, I, I, you know, I never played an instrument and I really regret it. So now you have to do it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, dad, really? Come on you know, uh, dad, uh, you know, the classic, like teenage, like, uh, my parents are so not cool. You know, um, now, now I know that, you know, he's very cool, but, uh, so I, I had always loved the car talk theme song, but he had told me you need to choose an instrument in two weeks or I'm choosing one for you. So he got me after two weeks, I hadn't decided. So he decided you're playing the vibraphone because it's similar to a piano. Uh, and so he got a starter set of vibes that was about like this big. And yeah. I hit one note on it. And he's like, we're not having that in the house. <laughs> you know, granted, I'm sure he didn't know what was to come. But right. so right. he said, all right, keep thinking about it. And I was about 15 at the time, I think maybe 14 or 15. And I just remember we were driving somewhere and car talk came on the radio and i just heard that you know and i was like oh my god what is that and what is that i need to know what that is um and i need to know i need to know how to do that and i think it's this it's this classic thing of when people hear earl for the first time right you know it's like it stops you and it it stops you in your tracks you know it's a good thing i wasn't driving at the time because i was underage to be driving but also uh i probably would have crashed the car you know it's it was such a, a profound experience and i remember it you know my memory isn't that well of the past but like i remember that really well hearing earl scruggs and just thinking this is incredible what is this that's it but it, who's playing it that is earl scruggs i know it's david grisman that wrote that theme yeah so it's earl scruggs they have two different recordings that they used the the original one was earl i don't know who the second one was but okay. both, both great banjo players but the one i heard was earl um and you know there's this thing about earl where his, his playing is just so captivating uh-huh. um and it's not it's not just like his tone or timing it's just musically who he was. He there was just something about him that just really captivated me and I mean, every, you know, all the other three finger banjo players 
I've ever met. I, I don't know if I've ever met a three-finger banjo player who's like, Earl Scruggs, ugh. You right. know, and, uh, you know, someone's going to isolate that and post it on YouTube and blackmail me. But um, there's something about that with all great musicians, I think. If their personality comes through instantly, you know, if you yeah. got P.P. King or Louis Armstrong or, you know, whatever. It's it's one note. And exactly. you're like, it's them. And yeah. And, you know, it's like Earl could have played anything and he would have been incredible, but he just found the banjo. Right. So I heard that. And I was like, I got to do this. I love that so much. So I got a Deering Good Time. Shout out to, to the Deerings. Um, one of the open backs. Um, with the, I think they call it the Gumby headstock. One of the old ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I still have it somewhere, though. At some point, I, when I was young, I pulled all the frets out of it. Because I'm like, I want a fretless banjo. <laughs> uh, and it turns out it didn't really work too well. So that's fine. Um, we don't need to talk about... You're doing had your Jocko Pastorius banjo. Yeah, my, my mistakes there. But um and so I started taking lessons from my brother's guitar teacher who played Clawhammer banjo, this guy Bill Bear, really sweet guy. Um and after like must have been like seven, eight months, about a year, I you know, I was like, Hey Bill, like, why isn't it sounding like this? And he's like oh, you wanted to play that style. And I'm like, what do you mean style? You know, so then he told me, well, that's just a completely different thing. It's like a different instrument, basically. So uh, he gave me some picks and started showing me some rolls. Um, and then, you know, he was mainly a claw hammer guy. So I moved, I moved on to start taking lessons uh, from this really great local musician named Howie Tarnauer. Okay. Um, who I loved taking lessons with Howie. He was all about learning by ear, and I'd go every week with a cassette tape, and he'd record the, you know, mm -hmm. what he showed me onto the cassette tape. Um, I didn't have a cassette player for a little while though, so it was, <laughs> you know, not necessarily built up a library. Yeah, but um, I learned so much from him, and I'm really thankful that he, you know, wasn't just giving me tech excuse me, right. tabs. Right, right. Um, I think tabs can be a really great thing, but the, the really difficult thing with learning three-finger banjo is it's it's like a language. You know, it's like, you have these licks like, you know, you know right. this, like this roll. Now, imagine I were in tune. Uh, that roll, and then licks like this. It's like that's a, the same right hand pattern, but it just mm -hmm. doesn't sound anything like it. So I think one of the, the things with tabs, at least for me, is that I found that if I was working things out with tab, it was a lot harder to recognize the patterns and the rolls. Totally. totally. You're memorizing. It's like walking a path each instead of like looking at you're long way down the street, you're looking at each step in front of you and each, and so you never really get an idea of where you're going. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, you can, you can be learning from tab and play this like, like 500 times and you might never be able to play that outside of that tab. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you learn that from listening to Earl by ear, 
you know that lick already. So when I teach people Scruggs style, and I know not everyone wants to play Scruggs style. Some people are like, I want to play melodic style, or I want to play single string style, you know, or get away from me. I don't know who you are, you know, style. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, I think that like, one of the more important things is learning it as a language. So I tell people, you should at some point be able to like, listen to any Scruggs kickoff from like a studio record from like the early days and basically know how to play it because you'll you'll find all of these ones that have similar things so like you know this kick and then you have like so you hear some like similarities like this lick and then there's like similar stuff there. So like when you start learning that vocabulary, not only do you know how to use it in that context, but you can start actually using it like just to improvise, you mm -hmm. know? So like, you know, if someone's like, here's a bluegrass song you don't know in the key of G, then you know, okay, well like licks like this. And like, or like all that works, you mm -hmm. know? And so, with tablature, for me, I I found that when I was working with it, it really helped me. And actually, I tell people to do this. When you're working with tablature and it's not like some melodic arrangement or single string arrangement. Because with melodic and single string, you know, especially melodic, it's like you don't necessarily have like set roles, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, both Scruggs style, you can take those tabs and actually like take a pencil and start like putting parentheses around each lick or ta or, or roll. And just kind of label what it is right right um and you know i think it's it kind of takes a lot longer to learn banjo this way um but it's at least in my opinion it's a lot better just because you kind of learn it as like you know a language so it's like you know it you don't have to read it from a paper mm -hmm. you know um so that's how we kind of taught me that that was the way to do it um you know and then i started taking lessons from a great banjo player and luthier named glenn nelson who started getting me more into um uh melodic style and single string um and then i started discovering like banjo camp north and banjo camps i met pete wernick really early on and he pete was so generous with me um he he let me come to some of his camps for free uh, a few years in a row, which was really, you know, for me at that age, um, was a really amazing experience to just go learn from Pete and with, with all these other people. Um, and then, you know, through Banjo Camp North and through local festivals, I started meeting all these other influences like, you know, Bruce Stockwell, uh, who is, he's in Vermont. He is this unbelievably great banjo player, you know, that everyone should know. Um, and then, you know, guys like Mike Kropp and Ben Freed, who, you know, both of those guys are sadly no longer with us, you know, and, you know, Bill Keith, all of these guys, mm -hmm. Tony Trishka, Alan Mundy, I was, I, I feel so fortunate that early on I got to sit with these guys at these yeah. camps and, and learn from them and pick their brain. Um, and, you know, I, I realize now more than ever just how, how lucky I am 
that, you know, I, I had that access to these people, you know, and that I was able to, especially at that time when I was absorbing things so quickly, you know, be able to sit down with these guys and just kind of sit there and take in what they were saying. About how old were you during these years that, that you're going to these camps and was it, was being around people like this part of what could keep you going through the, the plateaus of learning where you kind of hit these plateau spots and where you want to keep pushing forward and don't just kind of get lazy? A absolutely. So I, um, I was probably, this was like 16 through 18 or something. Yeah. Um, and granted, I, I, you know, I'd still go to the camps and stuff and the festivals and everything uh, as I got older. But, you know, as I got into college and then started touring in a band after college, it sometimes got harder um, to go to these things. But it was definitely an inspiration to kind of, and refreshing to kind of go get to sit with these people whose styles are also massively different. Mm -hmm. So, like, I would take little things from each of these people you know, and put them into my playing, um, or just like being able to hear just how they approach the instrument was so inspiring. So I really looked forward to being able to go to these camps and be like, Hey, this is what I've been working on. Or like, check out this lick I've been working on, you know, and then they might be like, get away from me, you crazy kid, you know, but, um, no, they're, they're all very, very nice. Um, but it, you know, it really inspired me to just kind of keep playing and to learn more and more, um, and to, you know, just really like find my own sound. Yeah. Um, and I think that was, I had a few different people, you know, who inspired me to kind of stop trying to necessarily copy other people and. Um, I remember I had a lesson with Jens Kruger at his house once. This was many years ago. Uh, my dad and I were down there looking at a college, which I didn't end up going to. Um, and so we, I used it as an excuse to go visit Jens, um, which also just like, you know, at that age, it's like, wow, like Jens Kruger trusts me enough for, you know, to give me his phone number so I can <laughs> you know, go get a lesson from him. But I remember at the end of that lesson, you know, he thought he saw that I was trying to copy stuff he was doing. He saw I was trying to copy stuff Bela, Tony, all these guys were doing. Mm -hmm. And he kind of just said, like, you know, you have a lot of music inside of you. And, like, you know, you shouldn't try to copy these other guys because you'll never be as good at it as they are. Um, and I love that phrase. You'll never be as good at it as they are because <laughs> you know, they're them. Them, yeah. You know, it's their musicality coming out through the instrument. So, of course, it's like, you know, if you're trying to sound like Tony all the time, it's like, you're never going to be happy because it's like, why don't I sound like Tony? It's like, well, because you're not Tony. Right. And yeah. you're, pro you're probably not as nice as Tony either, you know. Um, so, for me, that was a really big turning point of, okay, I've kind of got a start figuring out what I want to sound like as a banjo player. Um, and I had, I was very fortunate, you know, two of those guys I mentioned, Mike Kropp and, and Ben Freed, um, they, uh, they're two banjo players from around here. Um, Mike was from um, Rhode Island and Ben was in New York. 
And they both had very unique sounds and very unique styles. Ben played with a lot of bounce, very bright, poppy, and a lot of syncopation. Um, and Mike would do all these things he called voomph. So he'd, you know, like... Yep. You know, that was a terrible example. And he'd play licks, cool licks, like slidey licks, like... Uh, no, that wasn't good. You know, and he'd like, you know... But, you know, well. Right. You know. Um, so those guys also really inspired me, because I was like... That kind of made me realize, okay, I don't need to try to sound like Earl Scruggs. I don't need to try to sound like Bela. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't need to sound like any of these people, you know. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's good to take inspiration from them. Right. But it's also really important to think about what you want out of your playing. Um, so, you know, since then, uh, I've become a lot happier with how I play because I'm not comparing myself to the unobtainable. Right. You're not chasing this thing that's you can never achieve basically. Yeah. And I think also, you know, one of the things people, you know, people get really, uh, impatient when they're learning. Mm -hmm. And I was definitely like that at one point, you know, and it was just like, no, I want to be better. I want to be better. But then, you know, you just have to kind of accept, well, you know, you don't get better overnight. It takes discipline and, and, and serious work. And also sometimes working on stuff that's super duper boring, mm -hmm. you know? So like, you know, sometimes just sitting there like this, you know, and doing that with a metronome. Just running these rolls can be really helpful. Um, you know, but a lot of people want to go straight from that to like they're like, all right, now that I've uh, now that I've mastered the alternating thumb roll, let's learn you know Big Country by Bela Fleck. Mm -hmm. You know, and and it's like, well, you know, that's got a few more rolls in it. You know, right, so right. so I think you know for me too, just become becoming more realistic with where I was and what my level was too, at the time was really important. And, you know, even now there's stuff that I know that I'm probably never going to be able to play, you know, just because I, you know, well, I don't have the time to practice it, but also, you know, some, you know, my brain doesn't work in ways like, you know, maybe Gnomes does, mm -hmm. you know, where he's connecting all of these scales and everything, you know, where I'm, I'm, the way my brain works, I'm playing a lot more at like positions. Right. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, the, I guess that was a very long-winded way, you know, of saying, you know, the those camps, you know, uh, and just those people that I, I you know, who, you know, the, you, know, you know, the ones who are still living, I, I still, you know, love them dearly, and, you know, whenever I see them, I, I still love sitting with them, you know, and, and learning from them. You know, whenever I see Alan, it's like I'm, you know... Uh, Alan Mundy, you know, it's like I'm a kid in the candy store again. I'm just like, oh man, that lick. I love that lick, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and it's just it, it. I'm I'm so lucky that I was able to to be there, um, 
And also that, you know, I, in high school, you know, I was a very shy kid. I was not, not really very social at all. Um, and somehow the banjo just made me a lot more confident, you know, in being social. So I was like a lot more confident about talking to these people, you know. So it was, um, it was a very interesting change for me. Um, yeah, one of the great things about the banjo community is that these these people you look up to are are so approachable. Versus if it was you know in another you know parts of the entertainment industry, not so necessarily. Yeah, and you know most of them, you know most of them are just super friendly people who don't have any egos at all. Right. You know, of course, you know you're going to run into some people you know who are difficult, but like for the most part you know, all of the, my heroes who I've ever had a chance to sit with and talk to, you know, it's just like mind blowing. It's like, here I am, uh, you know, a nobody, some kid from Boston, you know, you know, playing a Deering Good Time, or at that point, I might have had a Deering Golden Era, um, you know, and, and the, these guys are taking the time, you know, giving me the time of day. Yeah, you know, to to teach me some lick I'm curious about, you know. Totally. Um, anyway, well, do still... you want to? Sorry? Sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. No, that's okay. No. Do you want to play I... something else? Yeah, sure, I can do that. Um, so I'll play another original tune. So I um. So, I, like I said, I've been trying to write a lot of tunes, and like I said, it's hard to write tunes in G, so I decided that was a project. I'm going to try and write a tune in G, <laughs> G tuning, um, that sounds interesting. Um, so, I was in Nashville for this thing, Banjothon, okay. uh, which is a gathering of all these people with old Gibson banjos, and you just go and they're all in a room and you look at them and drool on, drool on them, you know, and then, you know, the next day it's, it's as if nothing ever happened. Um, and then I was, I was staying with a friend and doing a recording session in the morning I was supposed to fly out. Um, so a month before this, I had had my deviated septum fixed. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's too much information for Deering Live, but, uh, I'm, I'm bearing <laughs> my, bearing my soul to you all. So, you know, I'd had some, you know, they corrected that, and I'll tell you, being able to go like this, it's pretty great. Don't don't take it for granted. But anyway, um, I started like I started feeling some drips from my nose that morning, and I'm like, oh man, snot. But then it was blood, and I'm like, oh boy. Oh. Uh, and it was it turned out to be I won't go into detail, but it was like I was bleeding for something like six hours, oh. um, and I had to go to urgent care. Uh, and the nurse, uh, or the doctor there said something you never want to hear a doctor say, which is, I've never done this before. <laughs> um, and then I, you know, I went to the ER, they dealt with it. They put a balloon up my nose. It was great. I stayed for an extra day. Everyone, everyone had a great time. Um, but anyway, why do I bring up this story? Cause I wrote this tune about that. Uh, and it's called, it's called drip, drip, die. Um, <laughs> Let's see if I can get through it. Mm -hmm. 
Those are for some fast drips of blood coming out there. Yeah. Oh, it was. Uh, yeah, it was not slow. Um, yeah. And I'll tell you. Let, let me tell you something. Until you've had a balloon up your nose for twenty four hours, uh, you haven't really lived. Okay. Okay. Everybody, you heard it here. Uh, we have a, we have a we have a question from uh, Victor Coco um, saying, hey, uh, "Gabe, when did you feel like playing the banjo just flowed easily?" Oh, geez, um, never. No, um, that you know that that actually is that's a really good question. Um, I I can't remember like a very specific moment, but I seem to remember it was like around eight eight or nine years in, I, I didn't necessarily have to think as much. Mm -hmm. And like autopilot really started to kick in. But a big, a really big part of, and you know, it's not like I was like really tense playing before that. Um, but I think that comfort and that flow really comes with just muscle memory and really knowing what you're playing really well. So like, you know, if I'm improvising, you know, at a really fast tempo or something, most of the stuff I'm playing is stuff I already know how to play. Right. You know, um, so like really the secret and people really hate that this is the secret is that you just got to play slowly, you know, and learn, learn that, like, you know, learn it like a language, like I said, mm -hmm. you know, so like learn how to just do this. And then you can start putting in stuff like to get to a C, or you can just start. So starting with just these simple things um, and really just nailing them, getting them into your muscle memory and really knowing them. And it's that thing where it's like, you know it so well that you can just do it without necessarily thinking about it. Right. Um, now, you know, I'd say like, you know, it really also depends on what I'm playing. So like if I'm, if I'm playing Scruggs style, it's, it flows really easily for me because I know that style really, really well. I've played it a lot. I've been playing probably like 19 or 20 years at this point. Um, is that right? Yeah. Jeez. Wow. I should stop telling people I've only been playing for 10 years. Um, <laughs> uh, people are like, well, how long have you been playing? It's like, I don't know, like 10 years, but now it's been 20. Oof. <laughs> Life, what a, what a cruel mistress. But anyway, so, you know, that flow comes from just knowing it, you know. So if I'm going to like, if I need to work out some like super intense melodic arrangement or single string arrangement or some crazy lick, it's like it's only going to flow you know, as well as I prepare. So, you know, the answer to that is kind of, you know, getting it into your muscle memory, really practicing it slowly, you know, to the point where you know exactly what the patterns you want to play are, you know, and also feeling the time. So like, you know, playing with a metronome, you know, and feeling that like one, you can do different subdivisions but like 
you know, having a solid sense of where that beat is also makes it flow better. Um, and it also helps if you want to decide to play bouncy or straight. You know, so that's like the difference between like straight, which is or bouncy, which is like and that might be a little more. Is there a way bouncy. for like the bouncy straight thing, thing, especially for people starting out, is there one that you point people in the direction to do? Um, often I find when people, beginners, when they're playing slow, they add that bounce to it a lot of the time. Yeah, I definitely noticed that too. And, you know, I mean, I think it really depends on what, you know, what they want to hear. Mm -hmm. So like, there's nothing wrong with playing with bounce. Some of my favorite banjo players play with a lot of bounce, you know, like, you know, like if you don't like Doug Dillard's bounce, then you can just, you know, get out of here. But, um, you know, I, I think you know, learning how to play straight time can be very helpful because then you can add the bounce later. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think it's really important, you know, to play what you really want to hear. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, um, you know, if I'm teaching a student and they're coming back and they're not making progress, you know, I kind of sometimes I'll reevaluate and it's like, all right, maybe they don't really want to play you know, boil them cabbage down, even right, though it's, right. even though it's good for them, <laughs> you know, you know, it's like, you know, maybe let's try something else. But, you know, I think that with straight time or bouncy time, it's just all about the feel you want to have. And also it's like, who, what, what banjo players are your heroes? Mm -hmm. You know, who are the people who really like when you hear them, you know, you just think like, Oh yeah, that's it. That's it. Right. I want to do that. Yeah, you know, so, so for me, I, you know, for me, it's like, I like both. Um, and it's very interesting because I'll find myself kind of like, I'll have like weeks where I'm just playing bouncy and then I'll just some, all of a sudden I'll just start playing straight again. Uh, and I don't know if it's who I'm playing with or just like what I'm listening to. Um, but I don't know, it just happens, but you know, that question is a really good question. You know, when does it flow? Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's going to be different for everyone. It's just about really putting the time in, you know, to learn all that stuff. And what about when you're hitting, like, you know, you're, you're mentioning playing slow, but people want to play fast. They want to start playing fast. And, and what if they're hitting a certain, they can do it slow, but they can't get over a certain hump to play quicker, even if they're pretty good and they're getting, you know, they can play pretty quick, but they can't play really quick. It just always kind of falls apart a certain time. Where do you, how do you kind of get them to get over that, wherever that hump is for each player? Oh, you get the whip. No, um, so, you know, that, that's a question I get asked a lot. Um, and so I, I had a really wonderful professor at Berkeley college of music, this guy, John McGann, um, tragically passed too soon but um he had a phrase um that i tell people which is in order to play fast play slow because playing fast is like playing slow only faster mm -hmm. so it's not like you're going to get fast just by playing slow but the way to do it is to find what is my comfort zone so you can do this with a metronome and you set it like where you're comfortable 
and you play the thing you want to play. And once you can do it without thinking, you set that beat, you know, two, three, you know, four, however many beats higher, and then you keep doing that. Mm-hmm. And you incrementally, slowly make it faster and faster and practice it until you have it as fast as you want. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, one of the things um, Bela said to me um, when I last time I saw him was um, when he's preparing something and practicing with a metronome, sometimes he'll actually prepare it faster uh, than it needs to, than it's supposed to be. Because when you're on stage, everyone's got adrenaline going. It might happen to be faster. So it's good to kind of, you know, prepare for that. So it's all about kind of doing that slow incremental practice. And, you know, it's, I know people want some sort of magical answer of like, you know, drink, you know, Drink a ga- drink a Gatorade at three forty five a.m. You know, once every other t- you know Tuesday, um, but unfortunately, you know that's that's not that's not how it works. I wish that were how it works. Uh, yeah, probably be a little more hydrated uh, if that were the case. But you know, I think <laughs> I think it's you know it's really great to to really take that time. Um, but yeah, I mean, to play fast, it's all about just slowly building that speed and making sure you're comfortable at every increment. Yeah, yeah. Um, We've got a yeah. bunch of questions coming in. I do want to start to get them to them. We have... Um, yeah, sure. Jujito is from Brazil and uh, says, what advice do you have for people like me, a banjo player from Brazil who doesn't have many opportunities to play with other people? Oh, that's a good question. Um you know, playing with people is, you know, a really great thing to be able to learn. Um, you know, but I, I always, when I was not in a situation where I could play with people, I would always find records, uh, that I really love and play along with them. You can also like, there's music minus one, uh, Pete Wernick has these jam DVDs, you know, uh, there's another great one is, uh, I don't know if it's still around, but there's like the, it's like the flat pick, like flat, some sort of, you know, the acoustic guitar flat pick blog. I wish I could remember what it was called, but it was this, uh, this flat picker would record rhythm tracks for all these tunes and he'd do it slow, medium, and fast. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, you know, that's just, you're having guitar backing tracks. So it's not like, you know, it's not like you're playing with a full band, but the other thing I'd say is, you know, if you have, you know, if you have the time, if you have the means, like, try to find festivals to go to. Uh, you know, there are, there are a lot of great festivals. There are some, you know, there are some over, overseas from here as well that are really wonderful. You know, there's La Roche in France. Um, I think there's one called Al Ras. I think that might be happening right now. Yeah, um, in Spain. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you can also, you know, you can also, you know, if you can come over here. Oh yeah, Clooney's drum machine is great too. Yeah, hey Clooney. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, if you can, if you can get over to the United States during festival season, and just like have like a few weeks where you just go to different festivals, 
Yeah. You know, there's jamming all over the place. And I know it, you know, it's like coming from Brazil, it's not that it's not like, oh, I'm just gonna get in a plane and go to go to Grey Fox Bluegrass Festival or something. Right. Um but you know, if if you can make it happen or IBMA, you know, IBMA uh right. it is incredible. It's everyone's there, everyone is playing all night. Um you know, and then there there's another thing, I think band in a box or something. Yeah, abandoned box, an old one. Yeah, you know, basically, like you know, finding festivals that you can get to, and also finding records you love to play along with, um, like the Bluegrass Album Band records. Those are super fun to play along with. You know. So you do got, you not choose when you're playing along with records? You don't. I know it's common a lot of people choose records that don't have banjo on it. Like Tony Rice's Manzanita album is is a famous one for a lot of people. Do you choose ones without banjo? Or does it really not really matter for you? Not not necessarily. Um, you know, certainly it like gives you more of the vibe of like, you know, being a part of the music. If there's not like JD Crow, you <laughs> right. know, playing there, and and also in your way. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, JD, get get out of here, you know. But uh, well, and it's also like, oh man, I'm I I am not even worthy to be playing along with JD Crow, you know, right. let alone you know, let alone be listening to JD Crow, but. Um, not yeah. I mean, it doesn't necessarily bother me to have banjo there. Um, you know, it just it still gives me that thing of like practicing what it's like to play with people. And mm -hmm. obviously, nothing nothing is you know nothing is going to be like getting a group of people together right. and and just hanging out and having a good time and playing. But you know, if you're if you're limited in that area, then it's totally you know totally fine. To, to play with recordings right yeah you know? and i think you know a lot of people would prefer playing with recordings you know, <laughs> these days but you know um, um let's see we have some more questions we have a question well uh this isn't a question but just more of a more of a comment uh clooney clooney mcpherson says uh bc misses you when are you gonna come to your senses and quit your day job and come back <laughs> oh I, I wish clooney i i i miss bc too British Columbia, um, we, in my band, the Lonely Heartstring Band, our fiddle player Patrick is from out there, so we would tour out there, uh, nice. you know, once or twice a year, uh, and it's just, I mean, coming from living in Boston, uh, it's kind, of, it's like another universe out there. It's so beautiful. N no offense to Boston, so if anyone's listening from Boston, forgive me, um, but yeah, I, I, well. I have no plans to quit my job yet, but uh, I would love to make it back out there at some point. Um, I love it out there, and the music, you know, the music scene out there is just, some of those people are such wonderful folks, Clo Clooney included, of course, um, and his, his beautiful Scruggs banjo he has, that he very, very kindly let me play all night at a jam once. Um, so thank you for that. Um, let's see, we have... Uh, Chun C. Lee is saying uh, earlier Gabe said he connects positions as opposed to scales like Gnome. Do you write your tunes, riffs based off of positions and where it lies on the neck? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. So it really depends. Um, I will like usually for me writing a tune, you know, it's like I'll come up with a basic melodies so like with that one um you know if we're talking about you know that one i just played you know we have um 
you know, that came from this lick. So like, in that position. So this position connects to like this. This kind of, you know, you could have this like A minor or F, you know, and then this position. So you have that A root there. So like, so I have that melody of, and I'm filling in that space. And then, so what is that? That is kind of a transitional phrase because I'm going to a C chord there. So I know that I can have this shape, that position, which you can do all sorts of stuff with that. You know, that is terrible, but that kind of thing. So I'm like, and then I have, which is kind of like you're going into Scruggs style. So for me, the shapes are more like up the neck. So like with shapes, with single string, you have these like box shapes. Which, you know, it's still scalar stuff, it's all part of scales, but I'm just containing it more and thinking of it more, you know, in a contained way, you know, so like, it's still good to learn, you know, you know that, like, this G scale, you can play that, like, like that too, but, you know, for me, like, my little finger curls inward, so it's like hard to do some of those stretches, so I like kind of those, like, some of these like smaller shapes so that I'm just contained to this box and then you can move that around so like so you know that like this is gonna work over a G or like a D or something and this that'll work over G and like C you know and other stuff too but when it comes to writing tunes it's either it either comes from a shape I'm working on you know like I'll be sitting there like you know uh, playing like something like that. And it's like, oh, that's a cool shape. So if I move that down here, so you have that melody, which when you put it by itself sounds kind of like stupid. But when you put rolls in it in these positions, and it's hard to play this on, this is a very like, bluegrassy banjo with a flat fingerboard but so like you can take these you can take these shapes and connect them you know and it really one of the shapes I really like are sixths so like in the key of G you have these so mm -hmm. what that, that is it's an interval of a sixth from the third string to the first string. So like if you take this chord, you know, the scale, and then let's just, for the sake of bluegrass, this is D again, and G, because we don't want to deal with what's going on there in, in academic music. But uh, so if you take just the third string and the first string, you get this harmonized thing. So a lot of my tunes, I'll use those to like get around, and then sometimes you can like connect things with like by fretting the fifth string. But Are you fretting the fifth string? You're fretting the fifth string 
basically two frets behind the what where the first string would be oh it depends on it depends on the shape so like here like in this g mm -hmm. you can fret it at the seventh fret and mm -hmm. you know i'm i'm fretting with the thumb some people like to fret with the index with the finger. finger or other fingers you know it, it's all personal preference you know so like that's a cool thing but with these sixths with the, these two simple rolls so middle index thumb index or thumb index middle index you can do this and so this like for tune writing this can be great to get around you know That's not a tune I wrote, that's just like some idea, but because you can get this melody, you know, so that'd be, which is, isn't the most, you know, great melody in the world, but you're filling it in with these, with these positions, you know, these sixth positions. Um, so this can also be great for improvising, so like if you're playing like, you know, shuck in the corner, so you know and yeah. you know when people learn this thing they go crazy with it so you know don't overuse anything but uh yeah so i'm thinking out of like chord shapes basically a lot of the times okay. you know so like this you know it's like i'm thinking of g or it's like e minor you know just thinking about chord shapes more than scales. Um, and it's not because, like, I didn't learn my scales. It's just because I have trouble, for some reason, connecting them. Um, right. Maybe I didn't practice them enough, or maybe my brain just doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Um, which my, my brain hasn't been working a lot of ways uh, recently, if you know what I'm saying. But, uh, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean... So tune writing, it either comes from messing with shapes or I'll just find a lick or an idea uh, that will come into my head uh, and then I'll try to build from it. So like it was maybe like two days ago or something, I wrote a tune that's or an outline of a tune where the melody... So then you add to that like, you know, so like... And you have that space, so you can add these harmonies, chords, and make this full chord shape. So, you know, knowing, you know, coming up with the melody sometimes first can help, and then mm -hmm. adding chords and rhythms uh and, you know and stuff and it also helps to know how chords like connect to each other so mm -hmm. like one thing that can be really helpful is like knowing that if you have this g chord up here you know knowing how to make an e minor out of that or knowing how to make like a g minor out of that you know right. you know knowing you know or like voice leading
steering live on on you know on kind of connecting with you on connecting chords and you know yeah. and voice kind of that'd be a great episode yeah so like knowing knowing how to do that can be super duper helpful you know um especially on like slower tunes when you're playing a lot of chords and i like using a lot of like like voicings like that yeah you know despite the fact that my little finger doesn't like it um and i really had to like i really had because i have trigger finger in this finger and my little finger and i'm not going to do it i don't want anyone at home to puke but um it it took a lot a lot of practice to kind of make my hands work you know so there are just some things like this lick that thing that everyone does and is that like it's like one of the things if you're playing banjo up the neck that's like a position that you kind of have to be able to play and yeah. for me that's like that's one of the hardest positions to make on the banjo it hurts it doesn't work for your hand as well oh it doesn't hurt i just it's it's hard to like get it yeah. you know um I, you know we can't all have you know tony trishka's little finger which uh i don't know if you've ever watched him double jointed isn't it yeah, yeah so he can like bend that just that first knuckle yeah it's yeah. like oh man if i could do that i'd be i'd be well be I'd, be, I'd well i'd be a millionaire or something <laughs> but i don't know um but yeah but, you know yeah I, um i want to get to a, to a few things that um you're up to because we're up over the hour and okay, um yeah, sure um so you do a lot of banjo setup in the boston area right yeah yeah um, how can people get in touch with you for um for and do you do you just do local people or do you ever, ever have people send in their instruments to you you know i i get i get a lot of people asking me if they can send their instruments and I, you know i don't like to do that first of all because the cost is insane mm -hmm. uh for for them you know right. uh and there's also the risk of damage during shipping right. But I also just think that the shipping process kind of like undoes some of the setups, right. the finer setup stuff, you know. And so like whenever I get a banjo and I, I, I buy and sell instruments, I mean, not quite as much right now. Now I take more, I do more like consignment stuff. But, you know, the first thing I usually do when I get a banjo and ship to me is I just set it up because mm -hmm. even if it sounds pretty good and it's working pretty good, you know, I'm figuring that at some point in the shipping process, it was probably jolted around a bit. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll just do the setup anyway. So I, I generally like it for people to come bring the banjo to me. Um, and then, you know, I usually keep it for a few days or a week, you know, if it needs a new head, um, I, uh, I usually like to keep it for a little longer because you put a new head on one of these things, they stretch out for a long time. Um, you know, so it's like you put the head on, you make it sound good and then they get home and like a few days later, it's like, Hey Gabe, my banjo sounds all muddy. What's, what's the deal? You, you prick, you cheating me out of, you know, you cheating me out of my money, you know? And then you say, well, no, it's a plastic head. It's a new Remo. So it's kind of you know, stretch out and some of them stretch out for like months and not that I keep people's banjos for months, you know, I'll keep it like a week or two at most. Um, but you know, so like, you know, I, I don't like to take banjos shipped in just for setup, just cause like shipping is crazy expensive these days. Um, 
I don't want to have a situation where someone's banjo gets lost or damaged. Um, and I, you know, quite, yeah. quite frankly, I don't have time to like go to, you know, UPS totally, totally. all the time. Um, but you can get in touch with me through my Facebook or my Instagram. Okay. Um, I'm, you know, I'm very, very good about, uh, about replying to messages. Um, sometimes it'll take me a couple of days, but I'm, I'm pretty good at checking them and, and being, you know, up to date with getting back to people. Cool. And, and then you're taking in a lot of students too in, in the area and, or do you teach online as well? I, yeah, I do both in person and online. I'm not, I'm not taking like a ton, a ton of students, but I do like to teach. Really, one of the things I, I like to do a lot is I like to give, you know, one-off lessons to people, mm -hmm. um, you know, because I think a lot of the stuff I have to say uh, is, is stuff that, you know, with two or three lessons, you know, that's like, you know, they'll get a lot, a lot, of, the, of, a lot, a lot of, stuff of the stuff on, that they right. need. Yeah. And often with, with students, you know, a lot of what I talk about is like right hand and left hand technique. Uh, and then also just like telling them, you know, learn these basics first. You know, I know you want to be able to play all this hard stuff, but, you know, it's not like you can play that stuff without learning how to play that stuff, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So, yeah, you know, I, I like teaching, um, you know, and so if anyone wants a lesson, you know, you, you can get in touch, um, you know, with my with my day job as a counselor, it's you know I'm usually Schedule's busy, a little tight. Yeah. busy busy during the week, but I, but I can fit you in. Um, but yeah, you know I'm I'm around. I'm alive great. for now. It'll well, this be. has been great. Clooney Clooney just uh, chimed in again, uh, asking for you to do an online setup workshop thing. So we'll have to get you on during live and <laughs> and just again and do as well as uh, talking about the. Um, the harmonic thing we were talking about, but also doing a, a setup um, show. Mm -hmm. That'd be great. Yeah. And I think um, usually when I tell people, you know, talk to people about setup, I like to tell people how to do it, you know, without needing to measure anything or without uh -huh. needing, needing like too many tools. Cause that's the thing that creeps people out. It's uh -huh. like when you're like, your action needs to be this high and your, you know, your tailpiece needs to be this high, you know, and you're, flumbus needs to be all over the place you know people are like well i don't even know how to adjust my flumbus so i don't know what i'm going to do here um but once you get it down it's super easy i mean it's you know i mean i guess i shouldn't be saying that because you know, <laughs> yeah, like, once you once you get used to taking them apart and putting them back together again it, it comes more to just like figuring out what each individual banjo needs because not they're not all the same um so you yeah, know, you have to learn to use your ear and 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 your the feel and everything. For sure, yeah. And and definitely get over that fear of taking it apart and that you can get it back together. That it's not just going to stay there. Yeah, that well, that was something. So there was a time when I had my banjo apart probably like multiple times a week, because um, <laughs> I you know I was just trying tail pieces, trying different heads, right. different strings all sorts of stuff and you know at this point now like if someone's like what does a Kirshner tailpiece sound like you know got that information I, I can tell them pretty yeah. confidently it's gonna sound like this you know or if someone's like I want a big open sound you know 
will this Kirshner kill piece do that if I crank it down? And I'll be like, no, you don't want any part of that. You know? Right. So I had to do that because there was really no one around here that did setup work. And so it's like when the, you know, when my neck would bow forward or something, it was like, well, I can't play, you know, right. or it's harder to play. And then as soon as you figure out how to do it, it's like, you know, as the seasons change, you just make little adjustments, you know, uh, or, you know, if you need to change ahead, it's not like a, a big ordeal, mm -hmm. which the first time you do it, it's kind of like, oh God, what if I, what if I lose a, a nut or a screw or something? Right. Totally. Yeah. But, uh, well, this, you know, yeah. this has been great. Um, would you want to, um, play us out with something? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Let's see. I'll just play a Scruggs tune. Why not? I'll play a Doggy Mountain Breakdown because that's what got me into it.